0: Hey everyone, just a quick reminder that if you just want the audio for any of these videos on the channel, you can do so on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and more. Go down to the link in the top of the description. There will be links to all of the places I mentioned, and then from there, you can search up the podcast, The Graveyard Shift with Mr. Davis, pretty much anywhere podcasts are available. Every single video on the channel is available on my podcast audio-only form so you don't have to waste data or keep a screen on all night, things like that. If it sounds like something you're interested in, go down to the top link in the description and check it out. Thanks, everyone. I awoke on a Call of Duty map and was then forced to participate in a game by Sugar Soad. I awoke with a Pounding headache and was instantly confused as a cool breeze brushed across my face. I opened my eyes and stared up at a beautiful blue sky above them. I racked my brain trying to figure out what was going on as my last memory was crawling into my own bed drunk as a skunk. I pushed myself off the grass and noticed there were over a dozen people lying nearby. They all had the same perplexed look that was probably etched on my own face. I peered over the fence of the backyard at an endless black void and knew that it went on for eternity. We all appeared to be in the backyard of a green house that looked eerily familiar. The little girl who announced her name was Emily had quieted down and now clutched onto the old woman's leg with a vice-like grip. Emily and the elderly woman, whose name was Beth, came over and stood beside me. The other people just stood by themselves and refused to interact with each other. My attention was drawn to the house as the bald man stepped out on the balcony of the house and began smiling down at us. He kind of reminded me of Uncle Fester from the Adams Family movies. A shiver ran down my spine as there was no happiness in that smile. His gaze shifted from one person to another and he seemed to smile even wider when he saw Emily. He announced that he had brought us all here to play a game. He was going to hunt us all down and that he would let the winner go. He walked down the steps and told us that we had 30 seconds to run. A big burly man marched forward and demanded that he stop this nonsense or he would regret it. Fester just stood there smiling and. I could see him counting downwards on his lips. I motioned to Beth and Emily that we should move but their gaze was transfixed on Fester. Fester was lifted off his feet by the burly man as he threatened to beat him within an inch of his life unless he let us all go. Fester finally counted down to one and his hand suddenly moved like a blur toward the burly man. He was dropped unceremoniously onto the ground but somehow landed on his feet. The burly man was blinking rapidly and opened his mouth as if to say something but all that came out was a small dribble of blood. He turned his head around and I could hear the gasp from Beth as there was a knife embedded in the back of his skull. He took two steps toward me before kneeling over Dad on the grass. Pandemonium ensued as people began running off in all directions. Fester pulled the knife out of the skull and stood there smirking. He turned his gaze toward me and I grabbed Emily's hand and began running. I ran around the front of the house and stopped dead in my tracks as I recognized where I was. It was an old Call of Duty map that I'd played years ago. There was another house directly opposite of us with a small road in between. I turned to say something to Emily but had lost her while escaping. I heard a scream in the distance that was brutally cut off and prayed that it was someone else. Fester turned a corner and spotted me. I turned and fled as he began chasing after me. I could hear his footfalls behind me as I ran into the opposite house and up the stairs. I felt an agonizing pain in my left arm, but I didn't slow down as I ran out the balcony door and down the steps. I almost collided with someone hiding there, and I could see the panic in their eyes as they saw who was chasing me. They turned to run, but tripped over their own feet and landed awkwardly on the grass as I moved past them. I turned my head slightly and saw Fester jump onto their back and repeatedly plunge his knife into their spine. I ducked around a corner to catch my breath for a moment, but I knew I would only get a moment's respite. The pain in my arm drew my attention back to my arm, and I winced as I noticed the four-inch-long cut that he had inflicted on me. Blood was oozing down my arm and pooling on the grass as I tore my shirt to try and cover the wound. <clears throat> I began to jog toward the other house in the hopes of finding Emily and Beth. I was forced to hide when Fester ran past me, chasing someone. He managed to corner them, and I had to avert my gaze as she used his knife to cut out their eyeballs. He moved away to hunt someone else while the eyeless individual slumped to the ground. I considered helping them, but I knew it was pointless, as there was nothing I could do. I found Emily and Beth hiding behind a car in between the two houses. Beth looked beyond relieved to see me while Emily cowered behind her. The street in front of us was littered with bodies as Fester was quickly disposing of anyone that couldn't outrun him. Beth's eyes suddenly widened and I knew for certainty that Fester was behind me. She mouthed at me to protect Emily before lunging past me to attack Fester. I watched in wonder as she inflicted numerous blows to his face and body. I grimaced as she used her knee to his family jewels. His face didn't even change and he seemed to be almost taunting her. Beth stopped her attack and was breathing heavily from the exertion. Vester raised his hands and clapped them together on either side of her head. I was showered with bits and pieces of her skull as it imploded from the force of the blow. Lester twirled on the spot as a fountain of blood shot upwards. Emily was shrieking uncontrollably as I picked her up and began to flee. My ears felt like they were going to rupture from the deafening noise that Emily was making. I had run into the nearest backyard when I slid on a pool of blood and fell heavily to the floor with Emily beneath me. It took me a few seconds to notice that she had gone silent. I moved her away from my body and looked into her now vacant eyes. I spotted the rake that had been lying on the grass and facing upward. I gently placed my fingers on the back of her skull and almost screamed as I felt the hole. I sobbed as I carefully placed her body down while trying to compose myself as I knew he was still out there. Her eyes seemed to be looking at me with an accusatory stare so I closed her eyelids. couldn't hear any noises as everyone else was either dead or hiding. I picked up the rake and intended to use it as a makeshift weapon. I found Vesture standing over the eyeless individual from earlier. He was hacking at the body and giggling away to himself. He must have heard me because he turned to face me and told me I was the winner and to gain my prize all I had to do was kill him. He tossed the knife from one hand to another as he moved forward. I swung the rake and I could see a momentary look of anger cross his face as I knocked the knife out of his hand. He lunged toward me and I smacked him across the face with the rake. He began darting from side to side looking for an opening as I held the rake between us. My strength was beginning to ebb and I knew that I couldn't go on much longer. I decided to go on the offensive and rushed toward him. He looked baffled as I pinned him to the ground beneath my weight and tried to use the rake to crush his larynx. He easily dislodged me and threw me to one side. He climbed on top of me and wrapped his hands around my throat. My vision quickly became blurry as he choked the life from me. I felt my hand brush against something in the grass and was elated when I realized it was his knife. I grasped it and without a second thought plunged it into the side of his head. His grip on my neck loosened as he stared down at me. He pulled the knife out of his head and looked at it for a second before keeling over. The world around me began to fade and the next thing I remember is waking up in my own bed. I was about to dismiss this all as a dream until I spotted the four-inch cut on my arm. I kept wondering... What happened to the other people. And hope to God. That I never have to play another game. I got trapped in a morgue. And the inhabitants weren't friendly. By sugar Sout, A shiver ran down my spine as I gazed up at the dark, ominous building that seemed to tower over me. Somehow I knew with absolute certainty that something terrible awaited me in that building. I turned around to plead with my mother to bring me home, but her car was already a tiny red dot on the horizon. Knowing that I had no other choice, I walked toward the building and knocked on the door. I waited for a minute or two with no answer until I noticed the buzzer beside me. I gently pressed the buzzer and flinched away as the door opened straight away. I took one last look behind me before walking inside. I almost shrieked when a tall, impossible figure appeared out of the shadows. I let out a breath of relief as it turned out to be the mortuary assistant, Dave explained to him that I was here on work experience as he stared at me with a blank expression on his face. He indicated for me to follow him before marching off down the hallway. I had to practically run to catch up with him as he strode confidently ahead. He ducked into a room as I sprinted in after him. I slid to a halt and stared with a wide-eyed wonder at the rows of tables that dotted the room. Each table was covered with a white sheet, and it was obvious there was a body under each one. The air was ice-cold. I could see my breath in front of me. Dave pointed at a chair in the corner, and I quickly sat down. We walked over to a wall that was lined with small doors. He pulled one open and dragged out a small shelf, which was covered in drinks. He handed me a soft drink, while he quickly drank almost... Half a dozen cans of beer. He wandered out of the room while I stared at the covered bodies. couldn't take my eyes off them as I was convinced that this would be a terrible idea. I carefully made my way over to the wall and reached inside to grab myself a beer. I stopped breathing as I felt a hand grab onto mine. I let out an ear-splitting scream as the hand began dragging me toward it. My shoulder collided with the wall and my arm felt like it was being pulled out of its socket. The grip of my arm suddenly loosened and I fell backward on my ass. I could see directly into the door into which I had placed my arm and I could see a pair of red eyes peering out at me. A long skeletal white hand crept out of the door and used one of its fingers to motion for me to come closer crawled away, while keeping my eyes locked on the hand that seemed to be waving at me. I let out a gasp as I bumped into one of the tables. I peered up and felt my bladder release as the body on the table was sitting upright with the sheet still covering it. I scanned the room and realized to my horror that they were all sitting upright. A moan escaped my throat as the heads beneath the sheets all turned at the same time and faced toward me. I practically jumped to my feet and raced out the door in which I'd first entered. I stopped dead in my tracks as somehow I was back inside the same room. The bodies were now sitting with their legs hanging over the edge of the table. I ducked under a nearby desk and covered my eyes and kept telling myself this was all just a terrible dream. After a few minutes, I peeked out and almost wept when I saw the rows of feet standing in front of me. My attention was immediately drawn to a small pair of legs that can only belong to a child. I watched in dread as the girls slowly lowered themselves and peered into my hiding spot. Their cold, vacant eyes bore into mine and I once again covered my vision as I could feel an unbridled anger emanating from her. I tried to remain calm as I felt her fingers begin caressing my face. I began to panic as she latched onto my eyelids and attempted to force them open. I could feel blood coursing down my cheeks as her nails dug into my skin. She eventually pried my eyelids open and I gazed from side to side in confusion as there was no one in front of me. I peered from under the dust to see the bodies were once again lying on the tables underneath their sheets. My heart was pounding in my chest as I crawled out from my hiding spot and stood in the center of the room. I was caught completely by surprise when something seized hold of my legs and I was dragged across the floor. I didn't even have time to fight back as I was pulled into one of the doors lining the walls and placed on a tray. The door slammed behind me, leaving me in utter darkness. I could hear someone else breathing in here with me and trying to stay as still as possible. My body went rigid as I felt a tongue begin to gently caress my cheek. I was quickly followed by hundreds more as every inch of my body was now being licked. I had to suppress the urge to scream as the tongues began pushing themselves up my nostrils and through my ears. I was convinced it would reach my brain as they dug themselves further inside. I closed my hands into fists as I felt tongue enter my eye socket and rub the side of my eyeball. An agonizing pain shot through my body as my eyeball was ripped from my skull. I heard a slurping noise as whatever was in there devoured my eye. I let out a scream as the trace suddenly dragged out and I shielded my eyes. I was blinded by the sudden brightness. Dave stood over me with a concerned look on his face and I shoved past him and sprinted out the door. No one believed me when I told them what happened. As they think I'm making it up. All I know is that pair of eyes watches me from the darkness every night as it awaits its chance to eat my other eyeball. Year of the Clown by N.M. Brown You should really pay attention to the things your kids watch on television. I remember the first time I was snapped from my cartoon-laced delusion. I lost part of my childlike innocence that day that helped shape my views of the world forever. My older sister and I were watching television like we did every evening before bed. It was the early 90s. I was barely six years old. My sister was almost nine. A special report from Illinois popped up on the TV showing a large man. He wore a sinister grin that was exaggerated by a smear of red makeup. Blue triangles took up most of the area around his eyes. The rest of his face white like cold cream. His suit was complicated. A strange clown suit, half of it a solid red, the other half red and white striped, a frilly wet and white collar puffed from under his second chin. A white-gloved hand was raised in a frozen wave. The newscaster said the man had been arrested for taking the lives of 33 young boys. We lived nowhere near Illinois, but my young mind didn't understand that. I was barely able to understand or process what I was hearing. All I know was that one hour ago, I liked clowns. After seeing this, I was terrified, especially being a young boy myself. I can't remember this next part, but it was talked about so much by family members over the years that I almost feel like I do. Six-year-old me burst into hysterics. I was heard throughout the house wailing to my sister, but Bubby, I thought all clowns were nice. It was an hour before I was able to be calmed. My dad sat me down, got out his map of the United States and showed me how far away from Illinois we were. When that didn't work, he explained to me that they'd caught him and locked him away. The world was safe from him forever. I couldn't understand why anyone would want to hurt children, let alone a clown. Clowns were supposed to bring joy, happiness, and laughter, not hunt down boys and stack their bodies underneath this house. My father distracted me with something normally forbidden for bedtime. Ice cream. (laughs) My childhood innocence and mirth slowly returned with each syrup-drizzled bite, but only a percentage. Before long, my dad was able to get me to fall asleep. part of me knew it still bothered me. I just couldn't figure out why. Flash forward decades later. I'm divorced with a 15-year-old son of my own that my ex Rachel and I share custody of. I still absolutely hate Clouds. Last Christmas, Rachel sent me a wind-up clown figure, a special fuck you for the holiday season. I tried to be the bigger person. However, I couldn't help but send a thank you card in response. It contained only five words. Thanks for the excellent gift. If that wasn't bad enough, the new year brought a new trend. News reports all over the United States are appearing left and right about, of all things, Clown sightings. It's quickly becoming known as the Year of the Clown. They're popping up everywhere schools, supermarket parking lots, forests, backyards, etc. Some stood there harmlessly, but there were others with far more sinister intentions. A part of my subconscious reverts to the age of six every time a new sighting is announced. I'm too jumpy to conceal and carry, so I always keep a knife on me, just in case. I figure it's only a matter of time before one pops up where we live. If I ever do encounter one, hopefully it just stands there like a creep. It's a juvenile event for sure, but one that seems to unnerve the whole country. Halloween's barely seven short months away. Brody will be sixteen by then, and too old for trick-or-treating. I still can't help but worry about the upcoming holiday. He'll most likely want to go out with his friends, and I'd stopped accompanying when he was 11. If the clown shit didn't let up, I'd have to keep him home this year. I'd rather have him be pissed off at me than in danger. Or worse, dead. The trend intensifies, spreading worldwide now instead of just being limited to the U.S., the week before Halloween has rapidly approached, and I'm arguing with Brody about wanting to go out. After telling him for the tenth time now, I won't change my mind, even though it hurts me to say he charges off to his room and slams the door. The moment it closes, I hear a torrent of furious swears of complaint from within his room. Later, I feel bad about what had happened, and to his room to end the night on a better note. The space under the door shows the glow of his bedroom light, signaling that he's still awake. After a quick knock, I turn the knob and open the door. Within the hoarder's hell that is his room, I finally locate a Brody-shaped bundle underneath the covers in his bed. I must have dozed off with the light on. Not wanting to disturb him, I turn off the light and shut the door. I wash the dinner dishes and turn off the kitchen light before attempting to head to bed myself. I hover over the sink and look out the window while I let my hands air dry. The blood in my veins chill as I notice something out of place in my periphery. A motionless figure stands out against the blowing branches of the trees at the edge of the woods. A clown with electric green hair and red makeup on a white face clench my eyes shut and slam my hands on the ledge of the sink to try and wake myself from the nightmare before me. When I open my eyes again, no one's there. I blame it on exhaustion. It's easier to accept than the truth. And I go to bed. Clowns chase me through my dreams till the morning. The morning greets me with sweaty disdain. I wake up disoriented and more tired than I was before I went to sleep. After making sure Brody is set to go to his mother's house for the weekend, I head off to work. It's an uneventful work day, just how I like. There's a gas station less than two miles from my house, so I stop to get some beer and L&Ms. The Cashier tells me to have a good night and be careful. I nod in response and open the door to leave. The sun starts to set early this time of year. When I walk down to the parking lot, the clear blue sky is already replaced with a pink and orange sunset. My car turns the last corner before home. And there it stands. The green haired clown. He stands off in the woods, staring at me. A white-gloved hand creeps up to wave and freezes, just like the clown from the 90s news report. My mind instantly takes me back there, and I struggle to keep the car on the road. It's difficult to perform such an adult task while reverting to such a childish emotional state. When I look in my rearview mirror, the clown... It's still at the edge of the woods, but is walking the same direction that I'm driving. What's the point of all this? There are hundreds of people nearby to harass. Why choose me? I pull into the garage as quickly as I can and hit the button to lower the door. I hold my breath until I hear it close behind me. I run inside and quickly call the police. After the operator takes my information, she tells me there's been several clown reports lately, but so far they've been harmless. She assures me they'll investigate it before hanging up the phone. My mind races. I run through the house, checking all doors and windows to make sure they're locked. The woods at the edge of my yard look no different than they do any other night. The assumption's made that the police are on their way to check the neighborhood, so I start to relax a little with the help of a beer or two. Four beers in, and it's cigarette time. Even though Brody's not with me this weekend, I still go to the garage to smoke. Because of me coming out here to smoke, my garage has become a place of comfort and relaxation to me. I sit on the steps and listen to the crackle of the tobacco taking flame. I've been smoking since I was 14. It's been the longest commitment of my entire life. I love everything about it, having only stopped once when Rachel was pregnant with Brody. I catch myself humming a tune that I'm not too sure of. Halfway through my cigarette, a sound rings through the acoustics of the garage that doesn't belong. A clank of a car door handle slices through the silence like a katana. There's barely any time to move or react. Tufts of erratic electric green hair, poke out the top of the door as the figure stands to get out of the car. He walks toward me. He's cocking his head to one side and then the other, like a dog, sizing me up. He's cornering me in the direction leading away from the door, leading inside. This is bad. What do you want? I shout at him. No answer. I take out my wallet and throw money at him. Here, just take this and go the fuck away, please. Again, no answer, and now he's closer to me now than ever. There's not much room left behind me until I'm backed into a corner and I have limited options. He stops about four feet away from me, reaches into his clown suit and pulls out a gun. Terror invades my skin like dry ice, burning me yet chilling my bones at the same time. Before he has time to shoot, I rush him with my knife. I'm able to tackle him to the ground, and the gun falls from his hand. Something about the way the gun sounds when it falls bothers me. I see a rush of red spread under the floor beneath us. It doesn't make sense. Gun didn't go off, no one's been shot. Realizing that it can only be one other option, I pull away from the figure in the clown suit. My knife has sliced clean through his chest, almost directly where his heart is. I can't feel for a wrist pulse through all the frills and cuffs on the clown suit, so I have to remove his mask to check his neck. Lots of emotions hit me at once, each one more heart-shattering than the one before. I scream. I sob. I claw at my own face with lunacy at the horrific situation. Laying in front of me is a teenage boy. There's no pulse to be found because there's no life in his body. I've taken that away. The gun he pulled was a too realistic water pistol. I hug his blonde hair to my chest and stroke his lifeless face. The police will be here soon, and I want you all to know how it happened before they take me away and everyone makes their own assumptions. I've always done my best to make sure to be a good father. The saying goes that a parent should never have to bury their own child. Can you imagine how I feel? being the one that actually killed theirs. Hey everyone, I have two quick questions regarding two different stories in tonight's video. One, um, where were you when the clown-demic happened? Clown pendant, whatever, it's a stupid joke. I don't remember it all that well. I live in North Carolina. There weren't that many sightings from what I remember. Um, And if it was, it was mostly in bigger, bigger cities like uh, Greensboro or Raleigh. Nowhere near where I am. (laughs) No. Um, Did you, where you stay, ever have to deal with that? Just curious. Secondly, what is the silliest thing you believed as a kid. Similar to the kid in this story, they believed that John Wayne Gacy, of course it was implied to be Gacy, um, was going to come from Illinois to whatever state that they were in. And it's so funny to me because I had a very similar thought when I was a kid. I accidentally walked into my parents watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre And once I realized that's where the movie took place, my child brain was like, well, this is obviously real. um, And that guy is going to come into my house and kill us all, (laughs) even though the movie takes place in Texas and I live in North Carolina. So I don't know. Kids are fucking stupid. Just respectfully. You know, kids are kids are silly. What's the silliest thing you've ever believed as a kid is basically what I'm trying to ask you. Thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful day, afternoon, or evening as always. Thank you for the continued support lately. And as always, stay safe out there.